Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. Dominic here. In episode 125, we briefly touched on a pair of monuments which belonged to the pharaoh's eldest daughter, Merit Aten. Today, I want to look at those monuments in depth. For those who are interested, it's time for a guided tour of the princess's house and a temple resort. Imagine we are sailing up the River Nile towards Arket Aten, modern Amarna. The sun is high over the eastern horizon. The current pushes against our boat, but the sail is full. Soon, we round a bend in the river, and the pharaoh's city appears before us. We will sail past the centre, heading for something else. We park our boat at the southern end of the city, a few kilometres from the great temples. We disembark, heading east, and make a short trek out into the desert. We leave the lush farmland and cross windswept plains. The air is hot, dusty, not particularly pleasant. And up ahead, the cliffs which surround the city rise like yellow-brown walls. Just before us, a smaller set of walls mark a royal palace. We have come to a place called Maru Aten, which translates roughly as the viewing place of the Aten. It is a walled enclosure covering about 3.2 hectares. The site resembles a fortress, with high mud-brick barriers and gates to control the entrance. It's not a palace per se, more like a secret garden. The Maru Aten in the southern end of Amana was a combination of temple and pleasure resort, the site was dominated by a lake or basin, probably dug and filled artificially. This lake was large enough to support pleasure boating, and it even had a stone pier or quay for tying up a royal barge. The lake presumably supported reeds and palm trees around its edges, giving the space an air of wilderness in the middle of the desert. This feeling was emphasised by the buildings within. At one end of the Maru Aten, a special area was set aside for a purpose. Here, in the northeast corner of the garden, an artificial island, square-shaped, rose out of a ditch. The mound was topped by a stone platform which held an offering table and a small kiosk. Kind of like a hilltop shrine, but one that was made artificially. This tiny sanctuary was probably a model of the primeval mound, the place where creation first began in the midst of the cosmic sea many generations ago. Behind the mound, a long hall filled with columns housed a series of small pools. These pools were shaped like the capital letter T, and they were presumably used for bathing or cleansing the body before making offerings in the temple. The walls of this pool hall were decorated with nature scenes, and it's possible that trellises overhead supported vines or even grapes. In other words, this little area was apparently a pool house of the most relaxing and luxurious sort, 
a place of cool water and relaxing seclusion, surrounded by the green of nature. Pools and vines were all very well, but what really makes a garden feel alive is, well, life. The Maru Aten would have been pretty lonely if it was just palms and water. Fortunately, excavations in the area reveal that animals were kept here. In the northwest corner of the site, two spaces were set aside for the burials of deceased animals. Apparently, these were cows and dogs which would have made for a raucous little menagerie around the area. Perhaps the cows were there as food, or scenery, a kind of false farm in the middle of the desert. The dogs, presumably, were there as hunters or companions, it's not clear. Either way, this wasn't a sterile environment. There were animals around, making noise and causing ruckus. The Maru Aten was not just a pleasure palace, it was a garden, a living area. The idea of the garden is central to how we imagine the Maru Aten and the city of Akhet Aten overall. Although today it seems like a desert wasteland, Akhenaten and his subjects put a lot of effort into making this place hospitable, perhaps even a lush environment. Houses throughout the city feature small garden areas, and palaces like the Maru Aten show, on a massive scale, how important nature and greenery was to the pharaoh and his people. For archaeologist Barry Kemp, retired professor of Egyptology at the University of Cambridge, and supreme expert on the overall city of Amarna, these gardens, like the Maru Aten, are incredibly symbolic. In his 2012 book, Amana and Its People, Kemp wrote about the Maru Aten, and he observed part of its nature. Kemp said, quote, The sunshades draw out the ambiguous attitude that the Egyptians had, and still have, towards the desert. Although it could be a place of escape and spirituality, what lay in the heart and imagination of Egyptians was the valley, with its fields and marshes, shady trees, birds, and general sense of abundant life, maintained by the interaction of sunlight and water. End quote. The Maru Aten, the viewing place of the sun, was a magnificent temple garden in the middle of the desert. Separate from the hustle and bustle of the city, surrounded by fortress walls, the Maru was a beautiful sanctuary. Here, the owner could come to relax, to enjoy the bounties of nature, and give praises to the sun god, the one who created it all. The Maru Aten was not the only sanctuary of its type. We know that a decade or so earlier, King Amunhotep III had commissioned another of these resort temples back in the southern city of Thebes. A text from that king's mortuary temple where the famous Colossi of Memnon now stand, records how the king commissioned a Maru at Thebes, and the description of this sounds a lot like the Maru Aten of Amana. The text described the Theban Maru as, quote, a divine offering before the southern sanctuary, a place of recreation for my father. It was planted with every beautiful flower, the primeval waters in its canal at every season. It had more wine than water, like the overflow of the Nile, abundant in all things. End quote. 
Descriptions of flowers, places of recreation, primeval waters, and more wine than water sound an awful lot like the sanctuary in the city of Akhenaten. In fact, excavations at the Maru Aten in the early 1900s turned up huge quantities of objects related to food and drink. Wine jars, or amphorae, were prominent, with labels like Wine of the House of Akhenaten, Wine of the Western River, and simply Very Good Wine, Nefer Nefer Herep. The wine apparently came from royal estates throughout Egypt. The Western River is a reference to the branches of the Nile Delta. So the occupants of the Maru Aten were enjoying the finest vintages from all across the kingdom. Interestingly, these libations were kept in a sort of wine cellar below one of the buildings. And when the royal family moved away from Amana, someone bricked that cellar up, sealing it away with blocks of stone. Which is how it was discovered 3200 years later in the early 20th century. So it seems like the Maru Aten was well equipped for entertainments and pleasure. Whenever she visited, the owner, Merit Aten, got to enjoy all the comforts and delicacies that a royal garden sanctuary could provide. I can only imagine that there were many afternoons where the wine flowed freely and royalty reclined in the sun. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Besides the Maru Aten, another important monument shows Merit Aten's lifestyle in the royal city of Arket Aten. Although she probably spent most of her childhood in the main royal residence, at some point Merit Aten got an upgrade. It wasn't quite a sweet 16, but it was a gift well beyond ordinary means. When Merit Aten became a woman, her parents gave her a palace. North of the central city, away from the main suburbs and bustle, Merit Aten came to live in a structure we call the North Palace. Its ancient name is unknown, but we could probably call it the House of Merit Aten. The palace was grand by any standard, a beautiful piece of ancient architecture. For a moment, let's go inside and take a look at Merit Aten's house. We're going to begin a tour of an archaeological site. To make things simple, I've put a schematic of the palace on the podcast website, and it has a red line marking the route we're going to take. So, there's a map if you need it. Otherwise, enjoy the tour. To enter the house of Merit Aten, we must leave the bank of the River Nile and come east. Ahead of us, high walls mark the limits of the royal compound. At their centre, tall pylons flank a gateway, the main entrance to the royal palace. We pass through this gate, saying hello to the guards that supervise the doorway. And as we cross the threshold, we find ourselves entering a wide, open-air courtyard, the type that is pretty much standard for palaces in Arket Aten. Like a temple forecourt, the royal house begins with a huge gathering space, an area where guests, supplicants, and scribes might come. 
To our left and our right, the court is bounded by walls, behind which are various amenities for the palace. Ahead of us, to the east, the heart of the palace hides behind tall mud-brick walls. We will make our first stop at the centre of this courtyard. Around us, the hustle and bustle of life goes on. Porters come and go, carrying goods to and from the palace. Couriers deliver messages. Soldiers patrol the area. Visitors, or potential supplicants to the princess, come here to wait, while royal doorkeepers watch the traffic, and make sure that people only go where they are permitted. Fortunately, you and I have an all-access pass, so we will be seeing everything. But still, the doorkeepers are watching, so please, be on your best behaviour. To leave the first courtyard, we head directly east. Ahead of us, another large wall provides the main barrier, protecting the private heart of the compound from the semi-public area in front. In the centre of this wall, a stone pavement supports columns, and this might be the foundation for a window of appearances. These windows, which are common in Akhenaten city, provide a place for the royal family to come before their subjects, dispensing rewards and bestowing gifts on the grateful people below. This window of appearances does not survive today, so it's hypothetical, but the stone foundations may be an indicator of this kind of structure. Leaving the first courtyard, we pass the threshold, the main wall which divides the semi-public area from the royal heart. As we cross this barrier and enter the second space, a new world opens before us. The heart of Merit Aten's palace is an enormous garden. Rectangular in shape, it is a wide, open-air space, dominated by an enormous pool of water in the middle. This pool is a deep basin, a kind of artificial well that gives water to the surface. The basin appears to be tiered, like a kind of staircase effect descending into the earth. At each level, perhaps, servants use water carriers or pulleys to lift buckets out of the water. The water itself is poured into pots for drinking, and also into pipes for use elsewhere in the palace. It is an ingenious system, one that fed the house of Merit Aten with all of its potable needs. Around the courtyard, the servants have planted trees, Palms, or olives, provide shade to the basin and rustle gently in the breeze that flows from the north. Behind these trees, another section of the palace is hidden behind walls. From here, you can just hear the bustle and lowing of animals, currently hidden from sight. To enter the palace, we cross the courtyard, moving towards our left or north. Ahead of us, a small doorway in the northern wall provides our best access to the inner sanctums. We pass along a corridor, then turn right through another short corridor, and then emerge into a large open-air space. This is a courtyard in the northeast corner of the palace. It is lined with columns, with a rectangular pool of water in the centre. We've seen this kind of court before in the Grand Palace of the central city. It is a sunny but cool area. The pool shimmers brightly, and the northern breeze enters from above, banishing the heat and making the courtyard an oasis in the heart of the palace. This area is probably a domestic quarter for married Aten's servants. Small cubicles with wooden doors line the courtyard on three sides. 
They are narrow rooms, large enough for one person to make a tiny home. Above, a second story might have provided additional living space for even more servants. According to Barry Kemp, the area could possibly have held about 50 people at least, which sounds like just the sort of numbers that a princess, a daughter of Pharaoh, might require for her personal comforts. So maybe this is a servant's quarters, which would give us a nice sense of the lifestyle these people enjoyed. For royal-level attendants, a garden court with separate cubicles for their rooms sounds reasonably comfortable. Heck, the architecture might even reveal some of the hierarchies among these servants. In one corner, there is sort of a double cubicle, a square room separated from the rest, which used one of these alcoves as its access hall. This double-sized space could have been a storeroom, or it might have been the quarters of Merit Aten's number one servant. That's just a guess, but it's not hard to imagine the head honcho requiring, or even demanding, a larger space than their subordinates. We make our way through the servant's courtyard, heading towards the south. Ahead, a small door provides our entrance to the apartments of the princess, also to the throne room where Merit Aten held court. Making our way quietly across the courtyard, staying out of the way of the servants, we enter the halls where Merit Aten held power. We pass through a small corridor heading south, and then emerge into a wide roofed chamber. As far as Egyptian palaces go, it's a little bit small, but still, it's quite impressive. Twenty-four columns ring the room, one set in a regular pattern around the walls, and another in a smaller cluster towards the centre. At the western side of the hall, on our right, a stone staircase or ramp leads to a platform, perhaps a window of appearances, where the princess could display herself to her subjects in the courtyard. Directly ahead, to the south, other doors lead to their private apartments. We will look at those in a moment. First, let's go left in order to visit the throne room. Turning left or east, we come to the heart of the palace. Merit Aten's throne room was in the very centre of the eastern end of the building. To get there, one passed through another columned hall, perhaps the waiting room, before passing the final threshold. The private audience chamber was a small room with just two columns and a podium on which the princess would sit enthroned. Here, secluded from the outside world, Merit Aten would hold court with a select group of individuals. The princess probably sat on a throne made of wood and covered with gold. Her throne room survives to its foundations, and a few traces of the original paint give a clue to the decorations which surrounded her. Most likely, the walls were painted with rectangular murals. They had borders of red and blue, while in the centre, a panel of yellow provided the backdrop for scenes of palace life. Other examples from the city of Arket Aten fit this general pattern, and I've put a couple of pictures on the website for those who are interested. The throne of Merit Aten itself is lost, but we do know where it sat. A small podium in the eastern wall provided a platform for the daughter of Akhenaten to appear. Since her back is to the east, it is a reasonable bet that there was a window above the princess's head. This would allow sunlight into the hall. And seated beneath this window, Merit Aten would be resplendent, a golden figure, 
bathed in the light of Aten. Imagine a cathedral at daybreak, and you may have the idea. Merit Aten, a divine being, cloaked in Aten's light. Poking our head through the door, we get a glimpse of the princess working at the heart of her palace. But let's not disturb the proceedings. Instead, let's very quietly move around the corner to take a quick look at Merit Aten's apartments. These spaces survive in their foundations, and they give a sense of where she lived. We leave the throne room and go back into the columned hall, the one that acts as the waiting room. Turning left towards the south, we pass through a small side door and come into the private quarters. Not much survives of these rooms, but there are enough remains to identify the bedroom, a five metre long cubicle with a platform at one end. There is also a lavatory, where the princess could relieve herself in privacy. Finally, we have Merit Aten's washing chamber, another cubicle, this time with a stone bath at one end. The bathroom of Merit Aten is a square space lined with stone and plaster, and this seems to have been her washing area. Here, Merit Aten could stand while servants poured water over her head, rubbed her with oils, and did all the grooming activities that she might need. When first excavated, this washing chamber still had some of the original plaster on its walls, a layer of brilliant white around three sides. Presumably, the undecorated white plaster was a practical matter, easy to apply and replace when damaged by water, but maybe also a symbolic one, white for purity, for cleanliness, for the absence of dirt. Perfect for a daughter of Egypt's pharaoh. We take a look at the private apartments, but now it's time to leave, before some steward notices us and shoes us away. Now it's time to make our exit, heading out of the North Palace, but not before we take one quick look at the building in the big picture. The North Palace, the house of Merit Aten, was both a place of power and business, but also one of comfort. We see this in a couple of features, like the building's decoration, its facilities, and even its location. The palace was sited far away from any other section of the city, and because it was in the north, this meant that it was upwind from the rest of the community. The prevailing breeze at Amana tends to come from the north, so placing the north palace here allowed its residents to escape the smells and noise of the central city. It also made for a refreshing breeze, keeping things comfortable in a generally hot climate. The second big feature was water. The North Palace placed a big emphasis on liquid. There were at least two large pools, the reservoir or well in the central court, and the smaller pool in the servants' quarters. Add to that the trees which surrounded some of the pools, and it seems like the palace was full of sunlight, of green plants and shimmering water. Altogether, the idea, perhaps, was to create a paradise, an oasis of comfort for the royal family to relax. The idea of nature and oasis is really emphasised in the palace's decoration. A few fragments of the original paintings survive, and they have been reconstructed. What these paintings tend to show are scenes of gardens, life on the edges of the Nile River. 
Paintings show papyrus thickets, bushes and trees, with birds and animals moving amidst the foliage. The decorations that survive point to a building full of wildlife, of growth, images of nature surrounding the inhabitants. Once again, you can see some images of this on the podcast website. I highly recommend checking them out. Finally, the North Palace was home to animals. One section of the building, behind a wall in the northern area, seems to have been a series of stables or mangers for wildlife. The reason for these is not exactly clear, but once again, Barry Kemp has a suggestion. Quote, One interpretation is that the animals were part of the fantasy atmosphere that the palace strove to create, of living within the realm of nature, partly that of the untamed papyrus marsh. The animals and birds could have been there to enhance the illusion and to provide a living tableau of the gifts of life, those that came from the Aten. End quote. I like this idea. It parallels nicely with the sunny, garden-like atmosphere of the Maru Aten. The Egyptians loved their gardens. They loved nature, water, and sunlight. And it certainly seems like these palaces double down on the idea of bringing nature into the desert. Perhaps the North Palace was designed to evoke that idea, a royal oasis on the northern edges of the city. If that is the idea, it certainly seems to have worked. The splendid monuments of Merit Aten, a temple and a palace, were beautiful examples of Egyptian art and architecture. Although one of them, the Maru Aten, is now lost, the other remains, testament to the achievements of these people. Merit Aten was a lucky woman, living in the greatest luxury her society could provide. While we don't know that much about her personally, the environment which she inhabited was a splendid place indeed. This brings us to the end of the Grand Tour. Thank you for listening, and join me soon for episode 126, when Merit Aten's life takes a most interesting turn. Thank you for joining me on the History of Egypt podcast. If you would like to support the show, please consider leaving a review on whichever platform you use. Alternatively, consider telling a friend about the show. Word of mouth is still the best way to share podcasts, so if you know someone who likes the ancient world, but maybe hasn't heard about the history of Egypt, please consider sharing with them. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.